Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. God, we celebrate you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that came to the world for us. Thank you for our time that we can celebrate him, exalt him, and praise and worship. And now, Lord, as we open up your word and see what it has to teach us, I pray that everything we do might keep him first in our lives. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Great to have you here today. <clears throat> My name is Pastor Brad Stahl, uh, senior pastor here at First Baptist, and um, welcome to our church. If you have an outline, go ahead and take that out. You see it says the Lordship Factor on it. I've been in a little short two-part series on uh, Lordship and ownership, our possessions, our finances, kind of understanding that um, all we have is really from God. It is given to us on loan as long as we are living here on earth. And honestly, how we treat what God has given to us is what really reflects our view of God and uh, His place in our lives. I don't know if you realize that, but how you treat your finances reflects what you think about God and His place in your life. In fact, I'm not sure if uh, all of you get this, but uh, these are called the Word for You Today. They're out in our Welcome Center, um, just a couple dollar donation, and there's three months of great reading and devotions. Um, let me share one with you. Uh, one of our men at our men's breakfast came up to me and said, Hey, Pastor Brad, did you read this week's? And he gave me this, and he said, This will work for January. And I said, You know what? Yes, let me, let me share what is in here one of these days. This was from... Um, uh, middle of December, and the, the verses that go along with this is where the, uh, Jesus was in the temple and saw rich people giving lots of money and saw a little widow put in two mites, less than a penny. And so out of Mark chapter 12, he says, that woman just gave more than all the others combined. <coughs> Let me share what it says. It says, God doesn't want your generosity to be restricted by fear. Either you'll trust him financially and experience the joy of participating in his purpose on earth, or your own earning ability and live with anxiety as you do. The danger of not moving to a higher level of giving is that you can miss out on something great that God wants to do for you and through you. Count on it. At some point... God will challenge you to give more than you have ever given before. And I think about even as a church, as we did that a year ago, coming into our financial campaign, of paying off the debt that we have in our children's building and the ministry center. And I think about how we challenged you. God challenged us to all give more and to come through a year where we had about 2.1, over $2.1 million that was given to our general budget, another $600,000 that was given to the financial campaign. We are able to pay off the ministry center and now just focus on the debt that we have on our children's building. God certainly has challenged us as a congregation to give more than we've ever given before. And many of you have stepped up to that, but we're not all there yet. And so God is challenging us to go higher with that. It says, at that moment when you are challenged, your faith will cause you to say yes, or your fear will cause you to dismiss it as being impractical. That's a pivotal point in your life, because your response to God's challenge will determine your future. Some levels of giving are effortless, while others make us uneasy. 
And if you were here last week, you would have heard John Scholl share a testimony about how he and his wife give, and she was wanting to give more, and he was saying, I'm not sure about that. That makes me feel uneasy. But then seeing how he stepped in and said, God has never failed us yet. Real life testimony of that. <laughs> so sooner or later, we all hit a wall called fear. And unless you recognize it, you'll never be able to break through it. As a result, you'll live with less than what God intends you to enjoy. What's the solution? Change your concept of lordship. Change your concept of ownership. In fact, Adolf Monroe said this, there's no portion of money that is our money and the rest God's. It's all his. He made it. He gives it all and has entrusted it to us for his service. If you believe that, there's no reason not to give. However, getting, God's, uh, getting God involved in your finances means surrendering control of your money to Him. And that can be scary. Jesus' model for generosity was a widow who gave her last penny without having anything to fall back on except God's promise to meet her needs. When you reach that point, you're on the threshold of the miraculous. Well said. And what I want to also emphasize here today is that lordship issue of ownership and understanding that God, it is all yours. In fact, that's what comes out of Scripture. God's the one who designed our life. He made our life, and then he gave us the manual for how to live through this life. And one of the most important things that he gave us was an understanding about finances and ownership and lordship. That's why our finances and our possessions... um, They can become a huge issue in our lives. In fact, it doesn't just stay in one area of our life. It bleeds over into many different areas of our lives. Marriages. This affects marriages so much. The financial burden um, uh, upon marriages can be huge. You know, 56% of divorces um, are due to financial tensions. Over 70% of us married couples, we argue over finances. And so more than it just being, you know, mental and physical and emotional stressors, our our finances can bleed over and even to it being a spiritual burden as well in our lives. That's what God wants to save us from. That's what God teaches us in his word. He does, God is not a, a, a killjoy in life. He's a life giver. And he wants us to look at what he gives to us and says, you just need to have it in the right perspective. You need to have it in the right priorities. And so the Bible gives us clear instructions on this so we don't grow up with self-inflicted wounds. There's a lot of us in here who have those kind of wounds for maybe how we treated our finances, our items, our possessions in the past. See, one of those issues is the area of debt. Let me just talk to you a little bit about that today because I think John did a great job last week of sharing his testimony and talks about how he wanted to honor God in everything. And one of the things that he and his family came together and said, let's be debt free. Let's work towards that so we can be free from anything that would hold us back and that we can be free to give and to give in a great way to what God wants to do in our lives. Even on mission trips, to be able to just say, yes, let's go, because we have the finances to do that. To bless other people even, um, helping them get on the mission field. So let's talk about this debt issue. Because what, uh, what the Bible says and what our culture says are on two opposite sides, diametrically opposed. 
And so if you have not heard what God's word says about debt, you need to hear it now because you probably heard all about what our culture says. But let me kind of share with you what, what God says about it. Um, when we talk about debt, let me get an understanding though here. I, I'm not necessarily talking about a business loan. We know that for people to do business, they have to take out some things as an investment. And so I'm not talking about that kind of a debt. I'm not talking about even uh, a reasonable educational expenses that you might have, because that is an investment in your life as well, to be able to earn and such. I'm not even talking about reasonable housing. Um, and again, I say reasonable and, and taking out a mortgage because I think there's a certain level where we're, we're reasonable and responsible in that. Even with our children's building that we have a little debt on. We're a responsible church. We're going after that. We're paying that down so that doesn't become like an albatross around our neck. And so I'm not talking about that kind of uh, area. Those can be okay in the area of debt when we invest in the future like that. What I am talking about, however, is the bills that pile up because of the things we want. The credit cards that pile up and the payments that we have to pay. We come through November and December and we have charged it, charged it, charged it, preparing for Christmas. And now those bills come in January and February and we pull our hair out saying, oh my goodness, how am I going to pay? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about possibly getting a mortgage and buying a house that's twice the size and twice the expense that we should have paid for it, which can cause us then to have to work twice the jobs, two jobs, overtime, that type of thing. And then we can't enjoy God. We can't enjoy family. We can't even come to church because we're having to work so much because we're trying to pay for the things that we've acquired. That's the kind of debt I'm talking about. And that's the kind of debt, if you have your outline, you can pull it out. If you want the biblical view on debt, that's the kind of debt that is considered slavery. Considered slavery. And if you've been in that kind of debt, You'll know that. In fact, Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the what? Of the lender. That when I let you borrow, that, that you, you now w w will be almost a slave to me because you have to pay that off or you will have severe repercussions. You don't have the full freedom to spend money where you want to because you're legally obligated to pay that debt. Second, the Bible talks about debt is considered a curse. Now, if you realize that, but it's a curse. There's the various verses out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let me put some together. Where it says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The sojourner who's among you, the foreigner who's among you, he shall lend to you and you shall not lend to him he shall be the head, and you will be the what? You're the tail. You're the back end. You're the backside. And that's not a good place to be because they're leading you through that, and it's a blessing to be out of that kind of debt. In fact, let me share this. Debt may deny God opportunities. Debt may deny God opportunities. There's an interesting passage here, and, and this passage does not deal with money at all. But it's um, Jesus who's teaching, and the people are not believing him. And so look what it says. Uh, I think we're behind a point. Go ahead. Let's get the point going, unless the computer is crashing. All right. Oh, there we go. Debt may deny God opportunities. Here's the passage. It says, and he, this is Jesus, did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. 
that God wanted to do more in their midst. Jesus wanted them to believe, but because the people didn't believe, he kind of backed off. He pulled away. And the truth is, we rob God of opportunities to work in people's lives when we pour debt upon ourselves. I mean, John shared it well last week when he talked about, hey, I want to bless others in their opportunities to do things. Someone asked me if they want to go on a mission trip, I want to be able to give. I want our family to be able to go when we have the opportunity. You know, when you are so heavy in debt and you can't walk out and bless others or you can't walk out and say, yeah, let's go on a mission trip, let's do something exciting like that, 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 that can be denying God of an opportunity to work in your life. Truthfully, let me, let me be very honest about this. Truthfully, one of the most spiritual things that you can do here today, some of you need to do this, is to have plastic surgery. You know what I mean by that? Cut up your credit cards. Okay? That's what I mean. That's the surgery I'm talking about. Take a scissor out and cut those puppies up. That's the plastic surgery. In fact, when I shared this concept uh, uh, a few years ago, some of you brought me your credit cards during the end worship time and said, take these away. I do not need these. Take these away. I said, you know what? Let's do this together. We have an industrial uh, shredder up in our office. And so we stood right there before the altar of the holy shredder. And we took those credit cards and we popped them right in there. I mean, it was a spiritual experience. Some of you need to do that. You do. I I mean, goodness gracious, some of you have like nine credit cards in your wallet or your purse. I mean, we all know you only need seven, okay? You'll be all right, okay? No, I'm joking there. But but you you get what I mean, right? You're, You're understanding this, okay? But it's not the credit card's fault. Who, whose fault is it? It's us. So let's talk about this. Where does that debt come from? Where, 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 in fact, it's in the box. Where does debt come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from the desire to acquire. That's where it comes from. It's a Hebrew word. The word well, covet. Do not covet is still one of the Ten Commandments. It's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. That's in place. That was still there. Okay, it's number 10, so maybe we don't always work our way down to that one, but it's there. It's just as important as the other nine. In fact, I want you to read this with me. This is Exodus 20, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. You ready? Read this with me. Go. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor. All right, some of you are like, hey, I got no problem with that. I don't covet my neighbor's donkey, right? Okay. All right, I get it. But what was that? Mode of transportation? You covet those cars? Yeah. Okay. And just in case you feel like you get off the hook, it says, or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, my neighbors are poor. Well, you have other neighbors, right? And you have other friends. And so it's just talking in general about do not covet possessions. That word covet is a Hebrew word, hamad, which, which means to desire earnestly or to long after or to set one's desires onto something. And the thought there is, is this unbridled pas- uh, passion to possess. I got to have it. 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 Go to a car lot. And you will find out how this plays out. Let, let me be real honest with you, because I've been there. 
Even recently, my wife and I, we were there. We were looking. And we usually start with the used cars. In fact, a number of years ago, when I went from one car to the next, because that car just died, I, had, I knew I was going to have to get a, a car. And started out on the, on the used car side, quickly went over to the new car side because of all the little things. And I didn't know half the stuff that they had on these cars. I mean, my goodness, the, the, the sunroof and the bar and the new colors and, and the seat warmers. Oh, whoa, yes, right? Right? Now you go and it's like, oh, the Wi-Fi and other things like that. So let, let me give you a definition of what coveting is, okay? Coveting is starting low, starting down here because that's what you can afford when you go into a car lot. And go into here because now you like this. Go into here because now you want this. Go into here because you have to have it. That's coveting. Knowing that you should be down here because that's really what you should buy and afford. But boom, 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 jumping up here. And now this whole gap here which now causes you to walk out of there having to work overtime, having to cancel your family vacations, uh, working two jobs, the major car loan because you couldn't afford it on cash. That's coveting, folks. And we get into trouble when we walk into that kind of place. Uh, any of you have Costco, a Costco membership? Okay, we have that? Yeah, a lot of us do. A new name for that. Do, do, you, do you ever, ever, ever walk out of Costco spending less than you thought you would? Right? No? Okay, we got one. One gentleman here. Okay, it does that. You know what? New name for Costco. It's called Covetco. That's what that is. Okay? I just coined that. Covetco. You know, oh, yes. Oh, oh, and then the food, right? Mm, oh, man, you could have dinner there when you go around those different samples and such. Time it out right now. Let me back off just a second here because it's not wrong to not want nice things. It's not wrong. Nice things are good. They can be good. But when those goods become our gods, that's when we have a problem. Because they can control us, and they can control our lifestyle. And we don't own them, but they own us. That's what the Bible's talking about there when it talks about slavery and being a curse. And this is really, really tough because we live in a society... That every day, you get somewhere between probably 600 to 1,000 ads that are mainlining. There are, there are ad agencies whose goal is to mainline into your brain. You don't have this, and you need this. That's the kind of society we live in. And we need to be wise about that. We need to understand what the Bible says about that. We need to be wise about what God has given to us in the ownership principle and the lordship principle because when we come to that place of saying uh, and listening to the world that says you need something that you don't have, that's where coveting can begin. And coveting leads to debt, which is a slavery, which is a curse. So what are the effects? On the backside of your outline, let's talk about this. What are the effects of coveting which lead to debt? First thing, coveting leads to not acting your wage. Now, some of you may say, you mean age? Nope, I mean wage. That we spend over our wage. <clears throat> excuse me, over our wage. Because we covet. Because, because that's what we want. Now, again, hear me on this. There's nothing wrong with taking vacations. 
if you can afford it, if your priorities are in order to not to go into debt to do something like that, to not have it be stressful on your budget. In fact, God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy His creation as well. But some people take on a second job or weekend shifts or overtime to take vacations that they're too tired to enjoy. And the Bible talks about that. Look at what it says here out of Proverbs 23, 4. It says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show what? Restraint. Restraint. Now, I realize some people work very hard and have to do overtime and have to do different shifts just to get by. I, I realize that. So I'm not coming down on that. In fact, I hope that's maybe just a stage in your life where you have to do that. But many times, for others, it's coveting that leads to those kind of things, which just alters our lifestyle. Coveting just destroys budgets. You know, you've probably heard it said, people say, I can't make ends meet. Ah, truth is, a lot of time, the problem is, I want too much. And then I spend, and then I have to pay for it, and now I can't make ends meet. But God says, where are your priorities? Where are your focus? Are they on the things of life? Because we know, we, we all know, that this life is not filled with things that are the most important. It's, it's the people. It, it, it's, it's others in our lives. But man, those things just get on top. Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon writes in this, he says, the more money you have, the more money you spend. So true. So true. Um, second point I put down there on the back side, coveting leads to stress. It leads to a place of stress in our lives. Uh, do any of you remember the name Ross Perot? Remember that name? He, he was kind of the Bernie Sanders of the early 90s in his presidential candidacy. He was a rich, rich man from Texas. Here's what he said. He says, the more you have, the more you got to worry about. Remember, he was in that little voice like this. The more you have, the more you got to worry about, right? Remember that, right? right? How am I going to protect it? How am I going to save it? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to insure it? How do I avoid paying taxes on it? How do I keep from losing it? And we worry about all those things. Uh, again, Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, a working man can get a good night's sleep. But a rich man has so much that he stays awake worrying about it. And, and Solomon, that's not a poor man. That is a rich man, one of the richest men to ever live. So he knows what he's talking about. In fact, I heard a survey, and some of you can be honest about your life in this way, that insomnia increases with income. As your income goes up, you've got more to worry about less good sleep that you get. I already said, number one cause of divorce, financial tension, arguments over money and possessions. James 4 nails this as well. Again, James, very practical book. Would you read this with me? Go. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have you and cannot obtain. Man, he just lays it out right there. That that can cause all these. That's why this book is so important to read on a regular basis. And allow God's spirit to speak to you. Because as you're making some of these decisions about finances and the things you acquire, you say, do I need that? Do I need that? 
Is that something that's going to make an eternal difference? And again, please hear me on this. I'm not trying to be a killjoy here. God wants to bless us. There are things in our lives that can be wonderful, wonderful things. But let's get them in the right priority. That's what God's Word's talking about. Let me go to the last point. Coveting leads to dishonesty. Leads to dishonesty. Check out this bizarre story in Acts chapter 5. Flip there if you would. Acts chapter 5. Let me just explain the last part of chapter 4 as you're turning to Acts chapter 5. Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The early church is beginning. And the people are seeing and viewing their possessions a little differently. And so what's going on here is that they're actually, the early Christians, selling some of their possessions and helping out others who do not have as much. Helping out people who are in need. And so it even talks about there how they brought some of the proceeds from some of the land that they sold or, (coughs) excuse me, houses that were sold, and they would give them to the apostles to use and to bless and to use with the early church. And one of the people who did this was a man by the name of Barnabas, and it says he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, that's the context of now Acts chapter 5. So Acts chapter 5 begins like this. It says, but a man named Ananias, and if you see the word but in there, it's connecting to something. It's connecting back to the story we just said about Barnabas having a soul, a property that he sold and gave it. So, but the, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid that part at the apostles' feet. So, interesting part of the story here. What Ananias is wanting to do, he's wanting to keep up with the Barnabases. He saw that Barnabas had a good reaction there. He saw that the church was amazed when they would give something like that. And so he wanted to do it. And he made it seem as though it was the full amount when it really wasn't. And so there was this little sense of entitlement that came in because he says, well, this is my property anyway. Why do I have to give it all? And the coveting kind of came into his heart because he thought, if I don't give it all, look at what I can use. Look at what I can keep for myself. But he made it seem like he was giving everything. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? I mean, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, died. And great fear came upon all who heard it. Yeah, I bet it did, right? Go, go, church, go. (gasps) Go like that. (gasps) Okay, that's probably what they were doing, right? (gasps) Whoa. Great fear came across. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out, buried him outside the barn, outside the church. Three hours go by. It says, and his wife came in, not knowing what had just happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you have sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it 
that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear, try that again, church, <gasps> Okay, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Wow. Now, truth is, I would love to tell you the point of that story is Act chapter 5, if you don't give, God's going to kill you. Okay? <laughs> I'd love to stand before you. I mean, would that not make an awesome sermon message title, right? <laughs> give or die. God says it. Acts chapter 5. I, I, I mean, we could just, I could just read Acts chapter 5 and then say, hey, give, let's work. In fact, I, I'd love Acts chapter 5, let's now take an offering, right? I, I, mean, I mean, no one's wanting to touch that plate. That's like a hot potato plate, right? Nobody's wanting to, could you imagine the ushers coming down, you don't put something in, and they're like, Acts chapter 5, <laughs> right? right? Next week, they like have t-shirts, front and back, Acts 5, that's all they got to say. Acts 5. Obviously, that's not the point of the story. As much as I'd love for it to be, right? Right? It's not. It was an honesty issue. It was an integrity issue. It was an image issue. It's a lordship issue. It's a coveting issue. I mean, it was their property to begin with. Keep the property. You don't need to sell it and give... They did, and they, and, they, and, they, and they tried to show that we gave this much when they really gave. They didn't lie to men, they lied to God. It's an honest issue, it's a coveting issue. And God's word is wanting to save us from living that kind of dishonest, dissatisfied type of lifestyle. That, that's God's word. Now, truth be known, each of us are in different places in our lives, in our giving, in our lordship, in our, in our generosity. After last week's message, I loved hearing from so many people who said, Pastor Brad, um, let me tell you how I first started to give and what God did in my life. Pastor Brad, let me tell you how I was challenged to give and, 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 and gave. Let me tell you how this has grown in my life. And, and I have never heard a negative tithing story. I've never heard a bad one where someone said, I started to give and God didn't take care of me. I know. In fact, if you have it, come on up and share it with me afterwards. You just find out your priorities get realigned. God still cares for you. He still meets your needs when you give to him first. When you say, God, this is yours to begin with, and I want to give it to you, everything just seems to fall into a better place. In fact, I heard a number of those stories, and it reminded me back, um, I had met with um, J.D. and Danielle Hardcastle. So, Danielle, if you don't mind coming up here, and uh, Kara, that microphone is right there when she comes, if you can get that into her hands. Um, Danielle um, and JD are uh, been married since uh, 2002. I remember that because I was privileged to get to marry uh, JD and Danielle on February 2nd of 2002. 2202, uh, and now have two wonderful children as well. They started coming when they were in college over at UOP, and then uh, married, and now in their careers. And so Danielle, we were sharing a lunch together with um, your husband and I, and. Um, you and, and you were just sharing some things, and I said, you know what, I'd love for you to share how God has moved in your life and brought you to the place of the Lordship issue. So, share with us. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and good morning, everybody. Um, I am just so uh, just blessed to be here and honored, and, and thank you. I, I always pray to have more opportunities to share and spread God's word, so I'm just really happy to be here. Um, about five years ago, uh, I'm a realtor, so I'm, I'm in real estate. I've been in, in the business about 12 years, and I love it. Um, I made it through the tough times of the foreclosure crisis, but in about 2011, um, it was rock bottom. Horrible year. Um, I, I had the worst year of business. You know, I started when the, the market was strong and, and you know, made a, a decent living, and, and then it just crashed, and I'm sure that a lot of you remember that. Um, we were all pretty much all affected by it. Um, so, and, and I just remember that things were just not really lining up right. Things weren't um, in, in, in on track. They weren't, I, I just felt like something was off. Um, so I remember getting my annual giving statement in the mail, and this was right after the new year. From here. From, from First Baptist, yeah. And, and I remember looking at that, and I had given $100 for the year. And I just, that hit me. That hit me. I was like, wow, that's not okay. That's just not right. Um, it, I can do better. I can do more. And I came to the service that um, the sanctuary here was being remodeled. So I remember the service was combined in the gym. Pastor Brad and Pastor Jim uh, Dunn were doing it together. And I remember Jim just kind of hitting home and saying, all right, I am throwing out a challenge to you. It's the new year, um, talking about the 10-10-80 principle that you tithe 10%, you give off the top to God, you save 10%, and you live off of 80 and, you know, and he just threw it out there. And he said, this is what you need to be doing. And it just hit me. Again, I had seen I wasn't giving enough. My priorities were not straight. Um, we had had some hard times with money. We're both self-employed. Um, and there were times when you know, I'm like, hey, are, are you going to make a deposit? We have $4 in the account. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, we've always just been there. Um, and I just remember taking that challenge and thinking, I'm going to do this. Enough. Enough is enough. Kind of like we feel after eating over the holidays, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> enough. So I went home, and I remember them saying, Satan will tempt you. Satan will give you excuses. Satan will give you reasons that you will think of to not do this. And I went home, and I had, given, uh, had been given some uh, Christmas money from my dad. He always does it every year. And I remember thinking, well, that was a gift. I don't have to give. That was a gift. But I, I said, no, enough. That, that I recognized it, and I said, okay, this is going to be my first tithe of the, of the year was my Christmas money. So I did that. And I remember so specifically about two weeks later, um, in the mail, I had got something from a credit card that I didn't even know I had, and it was like it, the, the account had been closed, and it was a $300 check for whatever was in there. Didn't even know I had it. But all of a sudden, God had taken what I had given, and he had automatically tripled it. And I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh. Thank you. I hear you. I hear you. And from there, it just went from every, every time I'm commission only, I make a commission check, 10% right off the top, um, to the point where I wouldn't even wait till a Sunday. If I got paid on a Tuesday, I'd drive to the church, and I'd take my check into the office, and I remember running into Barry Blythe at one point, and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm giving my tithe. I have to give my tithe right now. <laughs> and he said, oh, I'd figure you for the online giving kind. I said, oh, you can give online? I didn't know that. 
Um, so, you know, it, it is really easy. If you didn't know, you can give online and you can separate it out too, which um, is great because I love giving to the 2020 Vision Campaign, also to missions. Um, and so for me, it's just, if you were here last weekend and heard his um, chocolate box of chocolates analogy, it's so true. I usually eat more than just one, so it's harder to hide. Um, but it's so true. God takes care of us. He blesses us. Um, I was looking through those years. It's been about five years since that. It was uh, starting in that 2012 year. I doubled my business from 11 to 12. Um, then it quadrupled. Then it doubled again. So if I look at from that year to now, um, my business has grown 19 times. Um, that is all God. I talk about it. People ask me how business is, and I say, God is great. God has blessed us. And it gives me no greater joy to say that because... Sure. Thank you. Because it's true. And don't get me wrong. I like nice things. I like to shop. Um, but it, it really put our priorities in line. And it's God's. It's not ours. It's God's. And he has given us so many great opportunities to use that and... Um, to do greater things, and I'm so, you know, proud when I look at going from $100 to, you know, what I can do now is just a great blessing, and I just, you know, it, it really has said God is number one in our lives, and that's what, you know, we want to teach our kids and focus on. Uh, my daughter got $8 from the Tooth Fairy, and I said, okay, you owe 80 cents. Um, so, but that's something that we, we want to preach as well. So, um, Thank you again for having me. And thank you. Thank you. Let's say thank you to Danielle. Thank you so much. You know, I was struck by what she said there of the giving statements that we send out, and, and, and we do that. And so, you know, I, I would just say take a look at maybe what you've given. And if you don't give a, get, get a giving statement, um, maybe you haven't given. And it's amazing that little by little, by little by little, by little by little over the course of the year to look at that. My wife and I do the same thing. We look at the end and we say, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to do this because you're the one who it comes from. You're the owner of it all. You give the ability for us even to have the wealth that we do. This is just a portion of yours. It's all yours. We just want to give this back. And so the challenge there is to take that next step. I want to challenge you like Danielle did. Take a step. That's what we do around here. Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. And when you put God over your finances, when you put your relationship with Christ over your finances, you will know him better. And I pray 2017 is an awesome year for you. And that for those of you, some of you in debt, some of you are just doing it right, you have that desire to acquire and it's out of order, that this would be the year that you say, let's get this right. God, enough is enough. We're going to honor you with everything that we have, that you would take that step, you would take that challenge, that God would be number one, not other things, not stuff, not finances, not goods, but God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity for us to share about how good you are. I thank you for your word that teaches us. God, I, I know when your word gets left on the shelf, we can go weeks months, years, and our priorities can be out of line. And so, Lord, we're, we're starting out this 2017 right. And God, I, I, I challenge my brothers and sisters here to do it right with their finances. Folks, if, if you 
place God first, even in that financial area. He is going to do so much more in your life to you, through you, blessing even for other people through you. So God, may we be a blessing to others. We know our lives are not about us, they're about you. And God, we want to be great stewards of our time. We want to be great stewards of our children, of our grandchildren, of our great-grandchildren. God, we want to be great stewards of the things that you've blessed us with, and really that's so reflective of the earnings that you give to us and the way that we bless you and give that back. God, thank you. Thank you for taking care of us as we know you will. Even now, Lord, as we sing one last final song, may that song spur us to a greater depth in our love for you. For we love you. That's why we're here. That's why we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.